This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Yes, we have an answer, but if if people will listen, we have an answer. Most people are not prepared to listen, so it's doubtful whether you're going to have anybody respond because they won't listen to the answer. We have a lot of people because we take care of our people. And faith does things in our temple I've never seen in my life because I've never known a people that can live to the degree that we are able to say that we've never had one die in our assemblies that have not been raised from the dead. I've never known such a testimony, not in any time or any hour, except that which I read about in former days. I have never been in a place where nobody can die in the presence of the living God. In the presence of the living God. Presence of the living God. If you're like most people, you probably find the world of cults, or as sociologists refer to them, new religious movements, either pretty fascinating or pretty scary. Maybe both. Regardless of their beliefs, there's something somewhat otherworldly about the lives of enigmatic and infamous cult leaders. Not to mention the stronghold they have over their followers, the methods they use to recruit new members, and the mysterious secret world they're able to create. Of course, unless we personally know someone who's been pulled into a cult, it's unlikely that we'll encounter such groups ourselves. The closest most of us will ever get to one is when we hear about it in the news. Unfortunately, when they do make headlines, it's usually for tragic reasons. Good evening. Here's what's happening. We're interrupting our special broadcasting to bring you this special report, um, a news news break on the People's Temple mass suicides in Guyana and the murder of Congressman Leo Ryan. I also have to warn you as we begin this special report that what you're about to see almost defies description. And so this is what the People's Temple grand plan in Guyana came to, mass suicide by cyanide and bullets. Even when you know it's so, even when you see it as we're seeing it right now, it is still unbelievable. Even if you're not intrigued by the world of cults, you've probably still heard names like Charles Manson, Jim Jones, David Koresh, and Marshall Applewhite. If you don't know the names of the leaders, you might be more familiar with some of the more notorious groups, especially the ones that received extensive media coverage. Groups like the Children of God, Heaven's Gate, and the Branch Davidians in the U.S., the Family out of Australia, or Am Shinriko in Japan. In episode 58, we covered the Order of the Solar Temple that operated in France and Canada. These new religious movements can pop up anywhere in the world, at any time, with whatever agenda it wants. In the 1980s, one man in Mexico started his own cult and decided to combine his religion with black magic, drug cartels, and murder. When the extent of the operation eventually came to light, the horrifying truth was almost too shocking to believe. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. 
On November 1, 1962, a 15-year-old Cuban immigrant named Dahlia Aurora Gonzalez gave birth to her first son in Miami, Florida. Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo was the first of Dahlia's three children, but not much is known about his early life. After her first husband died, Dahlia moved the family to San Juan, Puerto Rico, where she remarried. Like many Hispanic families, religion and spirituality were important to her, and so her children were baptized into the Catholic Church. Adolfo even served as an altar boy. But while the family seemed like every other parishioner, Dahlia had other, darker interests. When she wasn't attending church, she was pursuing her true passion in mysticism and the occult. It wasn't uncommon for her to travel to Haiti to study practices like voodoo. Adolfo would often accompany her on these trips. In 1971, when Adolfo was just nine years old, his family moved back to Miami. Not long after their return to the U.S., Dahlia's second husband died. As Adolfo entered his teen years, his mother remarried. His new stepfather, who was Dahlia's third husband, became a major influence in his life, and not in a positive way. He was about to introduce the young man to the dark and dangerous world of drug running. His stepfather would teach him one rule that justified every illicit decision moving forward. A rule Adolfo would never forget. Anyone willing to take drugs deserved to die, and he deserved to profit from their stupidity. The teenager was absolutely captivated by his stepfather's less-than-apathetic business philosophy. As his stepfather was fostering his criminal background, Adolfo's mother, who felt her son was blessed with the gift of clairvoyance, continued to nurture his interest in the occult. She introduced him to an Afro-Caribbean religion called Paolo Mayombe and encouraged him to practice it. Among its many traditions, Followers use animal sacrifice as part of their rituals. Adolfo embraced it and began studying the religion as a novice or apprentice of sorts. As the young man continued to be heavily influenced by his stepfather, Adolfo found himself with a growing police record. He already had multiple arrests for vandalism and theft before managing to finish high school. He didn't care because while his classmates were all trying to figure out what they wanted to do, he already knew, and it was not going to be legitimate or legal. In 1984, 21-year-old Adolfo moved to Mexico City. He had spent years progressing through the studies of Palo Mayombe and had achieved the level of padrino, or high priest. Adolfo was now presenting himself as a medium and a tarot card reader, the image seemed to work well, and success came quickly and easily. His good looks, athletic physique, and charismatic personality helped to connect him with Mexico City's wealthy and powerful elite. The fact that Mexico City had a high level of corrupt law enforcement, as well as a well-established underworld, made it the perfect place to set up shop. It didn't take long before Adolfo went into business with a group of men. Martin Rodriguez, Jorge Montes, and Omar Araya. He ran a small but profitable operation, performing certain religious rituals for private clients. Typically in search of good luck, 
his drug cartel clients expected and received quite the show. This included the gory spectacle of animal sacrifice. Chickens, goats, and snakes were the most common, but even bigger animals, such as lions and zebras, could be used for a price. With the success of his initial productions, Adolfo decided he wanted to go bigger and better. He took to raiding cemeteries for human bones to use in his rituals. By this time, he was so confident in his mystical abilities that he became convinced he was solely responsible for the success of Mexico City's drug cartels. Wanting to cash in on what he saw as a lucrative business opportunity, in 1987, he approached the Calzada cartel. He didn't ask, he demanded that they bring him on as a business partner. At the same time, he and his crew were taking the production of ritual ceremonies to a whole new level. In order to harness the power of the dead, Adolfo charged premium rates to perform live human sacrifices. He told his clients, who were now more like followers, that human sacrifice, including torturing victims, was necessary to achieve the highest level of protection from their enemies. He made it clear that performing a human sacrifice was a great privilege. Anyone he chose to carry out this responsibility were branded with special symbols on their upper body. The marks came to signify seniority within the growing organization. Having had time to consider Adolfo's business proposal, the Calzada cartel decided they weren't interested. It was a choice they would come to regret. In what was probably more than just a coincidence, not long after, seven cartel members vanished. When their remains were eventually located floating in a canal, many of the victims were missing their fingers, toes, and ears. Some were even missing their brain. As if that wasn't gruesome enough, in one case, the victim's spine had been completely removed. Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo did not let rejection get him down. He next approached the Hernandez drug cartel to be his business partners. The gang was run by three brothers, Elio, Serafine Sr., and Avidio. A fourth brother had recently been killed in a shooting. His family believed the only thing that could help protect their operation from further harm were rituals. They were so desperate to avoid a similar fate, they reportedly offered Adolfo 50% of their earnings in return for the spiritual protection only he could offer. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. things were working out very well. Instead of the Hernandez gang accepting Adolfo's proposal, he was now accepting their generous offer. 
His team had now grown to six men, all willing to do whatever he asked of them. Adolfo's natural charm also worked on women, and in 1987, the now 24-year-old became involved with 22-year-old Sara Aldrete. Born in Matamoros, Mexico in 1964, Sarah attended college just over the border in Brownsville, Texas, where she excelled in her studies. Like Adolfo, Sarah was charming and outgoing. As his operation expanded, so did his ego. Adolfo was also becoming more and more sadistic. When it came to taking revenge on rival cartels, or anyone who declined his offers of spiritual protection, he was brutal. Adolfo and his followers were known to sexually assault their enemies in the Mexican drug trade before executing them. If the message wasn't clear enough, they would then take the body parts of the victims and use them in other sacrifices. If you thought the stories were made up, you could often watch him conduct the rituals in a warehouse on the outskirts of Matamoros. The centerpiece at each ceremony was a cauldron where dismembered body parts were cooked over a fire. By this time, Adolfo had appointed Sarah as his second-in-command, or High Priestess. His followers were told to call her La Madrina, or Godmother. His organization was now a successful drug cartel, and Adolfo was overseeing large shipments of marijuana to the U.S. He relied on Sarah to take care of personnel matters, which included recruitment. Sarah's natural charisma and attractive appearance made it easy to bring in new members. Part of what made her a valuable asset was her ability to maintain what many later realized were two very different lives. By day, she was someone who had done exceptionally well since graduating from college. She still traveled over the border into the U.S. often and was great about staying in touch with her friends. By night, she was the uncompromising second-in-command of a ruthless drug-running operation. The continuing success of the gang was attributed to the barbaric rituals involving human sacrifice. So, Adolfo and Sarah needed to make sure that any prospective member was totally on board with this unique aspect of their operation. To indoctrinate their followers, Sarah forced new recruits to repeatedly watch a movie called the Believers. The 1987 film starring Martin Sheen is a fictional crime thriller about a cult that practices human sacrifice. The horror of his old life behind. Now in his new life, he's about to discover that the real horror is just beginning. Like all successful drug lords, by 1988, 25-year-old Adolfo decided to upscale his business. He moved the headquarters to a remote property hundreds of miles south. Here, he could work and not be bothered, or risk surprise guests showing up. It was also a great place to store huge amounts of marijuana and cocaine. Most importantly, the location offered a lot more privacy than the warehouse when it came to executing his victims. By then, it's estimated that Adolfo had killed at least 15 people. But as bizarre as his beliefs were, they took an even more terrifying twist. He told his followers that he was looking for a very specific type of victim for a human sacrifice. 
He wanted to harness the intellectual capacity of an educated American college student. Mark James Kilroy was born on March 5, 1968, in Chicago, Illinois. His family later moved across the country to Santa Fe, Texas, where Mark and his brother grew up. He was a straight-A student with a talent for sports. He was a gifted basketball and baseball player, and in his spare time, was a dedicated member of the Boy Scouts. At Santa Fe High School, he was on the student council, and after graduating in 1986, he headed off to college on a basketball scholarship. But Mark soon decided that his studies were more important than sports, and he transferred to the University of Texas in Austin. In March 1989, the 21-year-old was having fun doing what many U.S. college students were doing, partying it up during spring break. Mark headed across the border to Matamoros to enjoy the sun and forget about classes, on the night of March 13th, members of Adolfo's group made their way into town. They were prowling the crowded hotspots for their next victim. That's when they spotted Mark Kilroy. Mark was standing outside a bar when he was abducted. He was thrown into an awaiting car and sped off toward Adolfo's ranch. When they arrived at the isolated property, Mark was reassured that nothing was going to happen to him. That could not have been farther from the truth. The American college student was subjected to the worst horrors anyone could imagine. For the next 12 hours, he was sexually assaulted and tortured before being struck in the back of the head with a machete. Adolfo completed the sacrificial ritual by removing his brain and boiling it in the ceremonial cauldron. A wire was inserted in Mark's spine before his lower legs were both amputated. What was left of his body was buried at the ranch. Adolfo and his gang had grossly underestimated the dedication of U.S. law enforcement, who were determined to find out what happened to the missing student. Mark's parents were so desperate to find him they personally offered a $15,000 reward to anyone who could help locate him. They traveled to Matamoros and the Rio Grande Valley area, where they handed out over 20,000 flyers appealing for information. Despite the cooperation of Mexican federal authorities, the Kilroys and U.S. investigators encountered pushback at a local level. This understandably caused diplomatic tensions, and eventually, local police had no choice but to investigate potential suspects working for drug cartels in the region. Soon, four members of Adolfo's gang were brought in for questioning. It didn't take long after that for authorities to uncover the shocking truth behind Adolfo's macabre activities. A team of officers raided the ranch, seizing almost 250 pounds of marijuana over a hundred grams of cocaine, a dozen firearms including three submachine guns, and eleven vehicles. They also made some absolutely gruesome discoveries, starting with a ceremonial cauldron. When police looked inside, they saw a human brain, along with a turtle, the head of a goat, and chicken feet, all in animal blood. To force their compliance, 
Matamoros police held the group of suspects at gunpoint on the ranch and forced them to start digging. When they were done, the remains of 15 people who had all been killed within the previous nine months were uncovered, including Mark Kilroy. One was as young as 14 years old. Due to the grotesque mutilation and decomposition of his remains, Mark could only be identified by his dental records. Investigators confirmed that the remaining victims were mostly known rivals of Adolfo's organization, but three of the 15 could not be identified. The following day, the group of suspects were paraded in front of the media during a highly anticipated press conference. A crowd of reporters from around the world clamored for a comment from the accused men. The press dubbed Adolfo's cartel the Narco-Satanists, and they were about to get the headline they were waiting for. From a balcony at federal police offices in Matamora, not far from where Kilroy disappeared, authorities paraded four suspects who admit to cult involvement. One of the suspects told a group of journalists that it was Adolfo who had executed Mark Kilroy. The revelation came from one of the Hernandez brothers, who added that they were all designated executioners in the organization. One bared his shoulder to reveal six ceremonial marks, one for each person he said he had killed. In the meantime, authorities continued their search in both Mexico and the United States for two key suspects, Sarah Aldrete, the cult godmother, and 26-year-old Cuban-American Adolfo Constanzo, the suspected ringleader. Adolfo was long gone by then, having fled over the border to the U.S. With him was his girlfriend and second-in-command, Sarah, along with several of his senior members. He knew the group had to stay on the move if they wanted to avoid being apprehended. From Brownsville, Texas, the group headed about 60 miles west to the town of McAllen, and from there, back across the border into Mexico. They took refuge in one of Adolfo's Mexico City apartments. As the international manhunt continued, reports of sightings came in from across both countries. That was a lot of ground to cover, and law enforcement hoped they were getting close. They continued to appeal to the public for help. Posters featuring Adolfo and Sarah stated that the pair were wanted by U.S. authorities for the aggravated kidnapping of Mark Kilroy. Eleven other members of the group were wanted on charges of drug running and possession. Sarah's home in Matamoros was raided by local police, who reportedly found the inside of the home covered in blood. After six days on the run, law enforcement closed in on some of the fugitives. Three were captured in Houston, Texas by the DEA. However, aside from charging them with importing marijuana, possession, and conspiracy, there was nothing solid linking them to Adolfo's cult. Some eventually decided to cooperate in exchange for lowered sentences. The same day as the Houston arrests, Investigators over the border were raiding one of Adolfo's properties on the outskirts of Mexico City. Inside, they discovered a hidden room that contained an altar, but there was nothing to indicate that anyone had been murdered at the home. Officers did find Sarah's purse and other items belonging to her, which made them question whether she had been killed by Adolfo. Maybe the items were left behind intentionally to throw police off her trail. 
In late April, law enforcement apprehended two more cult members in another one of Adolfo's properties in Mexico City. But they still had not located the leaders. A month later, the international hunt came to an end, and it was like something straight out of a Hollywood script. In May 1989, police located Adolfo, Sarah, and three others at one of their hideouts in Mexico City. The discovery, however, was a total coincidence. Officers had stopped outside the apartment building to check out an abandoned vehicle. Adolfo, who saw them pull up and assumed they were there for him, decided that he was not going down without a fight. Completely unaware that some of the most wanted fugitives in the country were watching them from above, the officers were surprised when a high-powered submachine gun opened fire. Backup was immediately called to the scene, and by the time they had the building surrounded, Adolfo knew it was all over. Following his instructions, a member took the machine gun and executed Adolfo and one other. By the time police smashed through the front door of the apartment, only Sarah and two others were alive. They were taken into custody and let out of the building one by one. In Mexico City, authorities say the godfather, Adolfo Constanzo, and one of his bodyguards was shot and killed by one of his own. Constanzo was killed just before a shootout with police at this apartment building. Police say four men already in custody have identified Constanzo and Eldrete as the ringleaders in a drug smuggling cult. Police say the two convinced their drug associates to mutilate 15 bodies in satanic sacrifices, telling the men conducting human sacrifices would protect them from the authorities. By the time the case went to court in the early 1990s, 14 people had been charged for their involvement with the deadly cult. One top henchman, the same person who killed Adolfo, received a 30-year prison sentence. Sarah and two of the Hernandez brothers were convicted on multiple counts of murder and were each sentenced to more than 60 years behind bars. Sarah will be well over 100 years old by then, but if she does manage to live that long, there won't be a lot to celebrate. The now 57-year-old faces the prospect of prosecution by the U.S. over her role in the abduction and murder of Mark Kilroy. Whether they were first and foremost a drug cartel or true believers of the occult, the narco-Satanists, the Black Magic Cult, or whatever name they were called, thankfully died along with its brutal founder.
is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by Gemma Harris. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.